This week, Elizabeth Warren is out for blood, turkey can't fly, and no respect for Kenny Loggins on the Defense Nerds Podcast. Welcome back to the Defense Nerds Podcast, where each week we break down the biggest military and veterans news on Capitol Hill. My name is Leo Shane. I am Deputy Editor at Military Times, and I am very thankful you've decided to take about 20 minutes out of your busy week to come visit us. Next week, bring another friend with you. We can hang out on Google Play. We can hang out on iTunes. We can hang out on Stitcher, whatever works for you. With me, as he is every week, is my co-host, a man who is currently writing a musical based on the life of Robert Gates. It's Joe Gould, Capital Hill <laughs> Bureau Chief for Defense News. Joe, how are you doing this week? I'm doing all right. I got uh, I got like senioritis. Like I feel like I feel the August recess coming. It's right around coming, the corner, coming down the pike. We can put our feet up. We don't have to cover any defense news for like no. forty five days straight. <laughs> so That's how long right. is recess? About forty days. I think it must be. So uh, I have a feeling we're still going to be required to come into work. Um, but let's talk about the little bit of work that the Senate and Congress is going to get done before that August recess. Uh, because last week, Donald Trump's pick for his next defense secretary, Army Secretary Mark Esper, had his confirmation hearing before the Senate Armed Services Committee. Uh, look, his nomination doesn't look to be in any doubt here. The committee voted to advance his nomination less than 48 hours after the hearing. Most of the senators of the committee spoke highly of him. He was introduced by a Democrat, Tim Kaine, uh, which shows there's some bipartisan support. Uh, but he did have a few moments of confrontation when he was questioned by Senator Elizabeth Warren, who was attacking him for his past work with Raytheon. Uh, because that work was more than two years ago, he said he's not going to be recusing himself from de- decisions related to the defense contractor uh, that would that would wander into Defense Department policy. Elizabeth Warren called that unethical and possibly corrupt, shouted over Esper's responses on several occasions, and had she, had to be gaveled down by the chairman. Um, Joe, what do you what do you make of all this? Well. I mean, in in what sense? Like, did was Elizabeth Warren overreaching, or did she did this, she sort of have a point there? It looks like there is no real opposition to Esper. You and I yes. are both thinking this is going to be a pretty pretty one sided vote. Um, that with reporters in the hallways, the people are asking me. They're like, "So is this going to be an eighty vote? Eighty, you know, or is this going to be like a ninety to you know, right. like how how?" But, the only question is is by what margin Esper gets confirmed. So with that in mind, with him seeming to be a fairly non-controversial nominee here, um, Elizabeth Warren, who was running for president, really, really shouted (laughs) for quite a few minutes in this hearing um, and really tried to make this into an issue. And it didn't feel like she necessarily got there. didn't feel like this really caught anything, but we all reacted to it. We all were were a little taken aback by how strong she came. She had put out a release saying that she was concerned about these issues. Um, I just don't know, you know, it's unusual for someone who seems non-controversial to end up in a shouting match like this for five minutes. Well, let's let's look at it from the perspective of Elizabeth Warren. She's a 2020 Democratic uh, you know, she's a hope uh, hopeful for the for the president's race. You could I think even in call the, her a front runner. A front runner. We've I think we've watched her. I think try to establish her her you know bona fides. As, uh, you know, um, maybe in opposition to like Pentagon waste um, and corruption, as she sees it. And she, obviously, she plays into the big business, corporate fat cats thing. So this exactly. hits both of those. This is notes. you know she's got to distinguish herself coming into a into a primary, a Democratic primary on a, in a very crowded field, and maybe she wanted to make some fireworks to to get a little bit of light and heat. And I mean, think about um, 
But but like let's kind of look at this track record, right? She's the one who asked for the investigation into Patrick Shanahan and whether or not he, um, you know, he was uh, uh, favoring Boeing over um, over other folks. Um, he's a former Boeing executive. Um, she put out a uh, she she came out with a, a policy that basically is aimed at um, ending the revolving door between the Pentagon and and industry. So I think she's trying to she's trying to say something. I'm seeing this as in it as part of a continuum. I guess my question is, do you feel like any of it landed? Because there are some legitimate questions. We've heard this. We heard this from Senator McCain a few years ago. We've heard this from various senators on the committee about that revolving door issue, the too too much connection between uh, the defense industry and defense nominees, the Pentagon. Um, these are you know she's bringing up these issues again. As you said, she's brought them up several times, but. It just didn't feel like with with Esper, mm. who uh, is getting a fair amount of bipartisan support, whether because uh, he is a, a credible candidate or because everyone's just exhausted not having a defense secretary. Right. Um, it doesn't feel like there's anybody. No. I, you, there were no other Democrats backing her on this. No, so. I mean, I think as we talked about, uh, I mean, Esper is kind of a juggernaut here. And I don't think that I mean, all she can do is she said that she's going to um, she's going to withhold unanimous consent um, to kind of fast track the vote on him. So. It's going to take another day. I mean, she's making a point. Um, but, no, I think you're right. Uh, Tim Kaine introduced him, as you said. He, um, Kaine said, here, I have it written down. He talked about um, Asper's character. He talked about his, um, can, you know, candor and principles. So I, I think I think that kind of, and that's at the and outside. I, guess... I think he kind of is inoculating her a little bit in that hearing. I mean, inoculating Esper. In I guess hearing. that's part of what threw me off. It's it's very easy to attack the system, and we've heard Warren do that several times, and has made that a theme, especially with President Trump, that there's too much, too much industry connection, too much big business, keep getting their hands in, and not enough watchdog, not enough oversight from the Pentagon. But she went after Esper specifically and brought right. up these issues of you she, know. She said the smacks of corruption, pure yeah. and simple. She basically accused him of, of of being corrupt, which I think is right. Is as you're saying, rather than the system, she's pointing at him. Yeah. So it was just it was very it was very interesting. All right. So you and I both think this will be uh, just another footnote, maybe potential Can campaign I, fodder. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, if I before we came on here, I looked at the Blaze, which is a conservative web you know, website, and they posted a video that said basically she tripped herself. And then if you look at Mother Jones, you know, she delivered the she delivered the smackdown. I just want to say as as we have this like o wide open, uh, you know, we have this wide open field of lots of the, the Pentagon cannot is having trouble attracting people, filling jobs, um, maybe because of the the current administration. People have said to me, you know, people sort of connected with this process have said to me privately that, like, you can't screen out industry people entirely. These are people who have, you know, they're, they're just the revolving door exists. People go to work in industry. People go to work in the Pentagon. They go back and forth. Um, they're making money. They're they're establishing contacts. And if you're and if you're well, going you to it's, it's just kind of a fact of life. And if you screen these people out or if you set the bar too high in the name of of closing the revolving door, you may lose some some qualified candidates. So you're defending the man. I'm defending the man. Yeah. So, Who knew? No, look, there are there are some legit uh, things here. Part of the reason that we see that revolving door is because we see a revolving door here in Washington. You know, we we switch from Democrat to Republican. If you're a Democrat right now, 
you need to find something to do for right. for a few years until the next positions come up. Uh, even even as much as they like to talk about how nonpartisan these positions are, clearly all these top positions are still dependent on your party. I mean, so you, you could, go to think tanks, you go back to industry for a few years, and you do that. I think again, do you part think of, tanks pay well? I don't, I don't know if they. I, don't, do. I, don't th- I think they pay better than what we get, but um, <laughs> that's you know, not hard. I think I think one of the things that was unusual about this is we're not talking about. Esper coming right from Raytheon. He, again, he's been in his current position right. for about 18 months. Um, sort of has that, you know, has that cleaning off period already. Not to say that these aren't legitimate questions again, but the corruption issue seems undermined by the fact that we haven't seen major problems in the last 18 months with him as Army Secretary. Right. Yeah. I think if she's saying that there's corruption, uh, give us the proof. And then, I mean the. What she didn't get at in in that hearing is that she's asked him there there was a letter that she sent to him and there were like five things that she asked him to do, and one of them was um, recuse yourself from anything that has anything to do with any of Raytheon's competitors. Well, Raytheon is like so. One just of don't the, make any Pentagon decisions. Yeah, don't make. It, that's essentially what she was she was saying is like go find a different job, and he refused. You know, he refused to do that. So she was asking for quite a quite a bit from him. Um, and, and he's, and of course he was saying no. All right. So let's, let's move on here, Joe. We, we're going to have a new defense secretary before August. Uh, looks like we're going to have a new joint chiefs chairman as well. The Senate's poised to confirm General Mark Milley. Uh, so that's two big defense jobs filled. Now all that's left is finding a new deputy defense secretary, a new air force secretary, a new army secretary, a new chief management officer, a new personnel head, uh, and about a dozen other positions. Uh, We're making progress. So, <laughs> progress, no, not perfection. Out, I mean, are we? Are we making progress here? Well, only that we got. We have. Um, they've teed up a, a hearing for Norquist uh, next that week. That would be the new deputy defense secretary, right, the, the comptroller. Um, but it seems unlikely now he's going to be confirmed before August because we're running out of time. No, I break. think I think you're right there. But um, you know, Inhofe has, has made clear that he sees um, that would be he sees Armed Services Chairman Jim Inhofe. Thank you for our new listeners. <laughs> has um, has made clear that he sees Esper and uh, Norquist as a package deal, and I think he would like to kind of move that along. We have okay, so um, that's two, right? And three. <laughs> Oh, I'm not disagreeing with you. No, I, I'm I'm interested to see over the next uh, few weeks now, because what we have heard over and over is that once they get those top positions in place, uh, especially Defense Secretary, they can start to fill the other positions. Nobody wants to come in as the makes sense. Air Force Secretary um, if they don't know who their boss is going to be. So That makes sense. We could see this logjam finally break. We could come back in September and have a real flurry of nominations by October 1st, have these 15, 16, 17 top defense positions all filled. Probably not the personnel chief, which has been empty since uh, since Robert Wilkie went over to VA. Um, but uh, but a lot of the a lot of these other ones, we could start to see that domino effect, and maybe that that creates a sigh of relief up here on Capitol Hill. Yeah, let's see um, let's see what happens there. I, I was thinking about that personnel chief. I mean, that might be a really tough one to fill. This is the person who's going to have to preside over the you know the transgender troop ban. And then that same person is going to have to answer questions about it. Um, I, I, you know, and and it's a very I mean, you'd hot have one issue. right now if you didn't poach him for the VA secretary. You had somebody confirmed right. and ready to defend those things, and you then you fired your VA secretary and you had to move him over there. So yeah, that's going to be a tough job. Uh, it's so. been a job that, as in particular, has been a job that's been difficult. They've had a lot of actings. I think we've only had a actual permanent 
undersecretary for personnel and readiness for less than a year over the last six or seven years um, was a problem back in the Obama administration, too, much like the VA top health job, which has been unfilled since David Shulkin became VA secretary on the uh, second month of Trump's presidency. So uh, still a lot of big, uh, big questions. I expect to hear the Trump administration complaining again that Democrats are holding things up and Democrats pointing out again that he's not nominating people and it's hard to hold up people that he hasn't nominated. Correct. So, all right, look, let's let's talk about the one other big uh, defense issue of the last couple of days. And let's let's do it by uh, revisiting our favorite segment, which we haven't done in a while. So, Joe, who is Trump pissing off this week? That would be Turkey, because the president took away all of their F-35s. Right. That's right. So the um, if you haven't been paying attention, Turkey uh, took possession uh, this last week of a Russian-made um, S-400 missile defense system. Um, they have gotten repeated warnings from Washington that, that the S-400, this Russian-made air defense system, is incompatible with the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter that they are a partner in. This program is, this is our latest generation uh, fighter jet. It has some stealthy properties. And if you- and Turkey are, is actually helping produce produce parts for this thing. And yeah, they're helping produce parts and they plan on, they were planning on buying 100 of them. They had pilots in the United States, in the United States training. I think they had taken possession of, of one of them, but the United States can take it back. Um, so I think after a, a, a bit of equivocation on the president's part, right, because he has some he's shown some sympathy towards um, uh, the Turkish president Erdogan um, there. Uh, they finally definitively have said the White House said the um, the, the Pentagon um, had a, a rare on camera press briefing. Wait, they say, can still do those. Well, they did one. but they uh so basically saying that that turkey is now you know made the decision for us they are out and And what the crux of this argument is that if with this russian defense system that the russians may be able to get intel if turkey is both using this defense system and the f-35 learn more about this they could learn about the profile of this f-35 basically rendering useless the you know this you know, multi-billion-dollar program that the U.S. has invested so heavily in. The Turkish Defense Ministry has said that this is uh, incompatible with the spirit of alliance, not based on any legitimate justification. Not only is it unfair to keep Turkey out of the program, which is a partner, but to claim that the S-400 will weaken the F-35 is invalid. We call on the United States to come back from this mistake that will cause irreparable damage to our strategic ties. That's right. So Turkey is pushing back, essentially. It's it's um, it's an interesting play on their part. Um, they you know, and if you look at the language there, they seem to be echoing some of the American language about them. Um, you know, late last week, I got a uh, got a hold of um, Senate Foreign Relations Committee Chairman uh, Jim Risch and asked him, like, hey, are can can we reverse course? I mean, that was a question that um, uh, Ellen Lord, who's uh, you know the top Pentagon official who was giving the briefing, got from the press. Can Turkey, you know, is the situation reversible? Can Turkey get rid of the S four hundred and then get the F thirty five back? I don't think she really answered that question directly. But when I asked Rish, he said that Turkey. He said, you know, in our uh, conversations with them. Even though there have been they've been warned many times over, they never seem to take seriously that this is a step that the United States could take, 
he said maybe now that we are taking it, um, the, you know, Turkey can um, can approach it seriously, and maybe there's hope, you know, that that um, that that we kind of dial this situation down. I want to go back to something you just started to say, but then got yourself lost on the way. Sorry. Um, no, the the fact this idea of of using using our language against us. So we've heard from the administration over and over that this will. This will hurt uh, relations between the United States and Turkey, um, still a strategic ally. Actually, President Trump is still talking about visiting Turkey in the next couple right. of months here. Um, but but saying, like, you guys are making you guys are making the mistake. You guys are hurting the strategic alliance. And now Turkey's saying, hey, we're doing everything fine. You guys are the ones right. who are hurting the strategic alliance. You guys are the ones who are creating a rift. I mean, we've heard – I think we've heard some Turkish talking points coming out of Donald Trump, actually, which was where he blamed his predecessor, Barack Obama, for not selling Turkey the um, the Patriot missile defense system. And 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 it was only when we wouldn't sell them the Patriot missile defense system or, or, or only when when Turkey showed that it was serious about the S-400 that we got serious about giving them the, S, the, the, the Patriot. And by that time, it was too late. This is an awful situation. Um, I think. Trump isn't necessarily talking tough so toward Turkey. The... He seems to be saying, like, hey, we're taking this step very reluctantly. And it may be that Turkey is, you know, sees a split here and is trying to exploit the split, right? What are the chances that Trump goes to Turkey in a few weeks and during a press conference over there says, yeah, yeah, we worked it all out. They're going to have the F-35 and the S-400, too. Well, you ha- yeah, I mean— <laughs> I mean, if he, I, I think how many senders' heads would explode right on the spot? Well, you have folks up here saying we need to lock this in, in like we need to put it in law that they can't have the F thirty five and S four hundred. I think there have been some sense of Congress, non binding sense of Congress provisions, but um, you know, Chris Van Holland out of Maryland is somebody who's been big on this. Listen, we haven't even gotten to this other, the sort of the other uh, piece of this, which is that. Uh, the United States has to levy um, sanctions against Turkey as well for buying this Russian-made system. The um, the CATSA sanctions, which were passed by Congress unanimously in response to Russian interference in the U.S. election, mandate that the president um, uh, levy sanctions against uh, Turkey. He has some leeway in terms of how much these sanctions are to be, and he has kind of, you know, and he's kind of equivocated in the last like couple of days about whether he's going to do it. But folks up here say he needs to do it. There's no uh, two ways about it. Um, so, yeah, it will be interesting to see what comes out of that at, out of that meeting and what Trump says. Will he defy Congress on these sanctions? Will he defy Congress on the on the F-35? Um, who's his, you know, uh, does he, you know, is he sticking with the personal relationship with Erdogan? Um, who knows? All right, be interesting to watch. Finally, this week, Joe, let's uh, let's shift to uh, to the the biggest news in military Twitter in the last few days. If you follow any military journalists on Twitter, you know the first trailer for Top Gun Two dropped recently. Uh, the movie, which comes out next year, is titled Top Gun Maverick and features Tom Cruise returning to his role as a pilot who plays by his own set of rules. And those rules apparently have prevented him from getting a promotion for the last three decades. Uh, the trailer features reprise of all, nearly all the classic moments from the, the original 1986 movie. 
Planes flying fast, drunken piano playing, planes flying low, shirtless beach sports, planes flying high, motorcycle racing on an active runway as if airport security never would have existed. Uh, What we didn't see in this trailer is arguably the most important, influential, inspiring part of the original movie. I'm, of course, referring to Kenny Loggins singing Danger Zone. Joe, if they're not going to use the pinnacle of 80s rock as the soundtrack for this sequel, what? What are they? What should they do? What inferior songs can they pick? I don't know. Driving Miss Daisy. That's that's not a song. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I mean, I saw that trailer. Look, am I going to see Top Gun two? Yes, I'm going to see Top Gun two. You're going to be required to see that. I'm going to be required to see Top Gun. You won't have a job if you don't see it on the opening weekend. But I mean, let's face it. Tom Cruise is like 57 years old. They dedicated like like the bulk of the trailer to trying to explain the question of how. (laughs) <laughs> how as, how how Tom Cruise is still in 06 and then threw up their hands not, and said, "Well, there's some, I will I guess not there's have some mysteries you sit in life. here. I will not have you sit here and complain about personnel uh decisions and rank promotion things. Those are the most important stories that we cover in our papers. And Sender Gold, you were avoiding the question, which was <laughs> what I is did. the soundtrack? I said driving with the soundtrack. Now, look, there's only one way to fix this. If they're not going to use Danger Zone, I assume it's because they're going to go elsewhere in the Kenny Loggins soundtrack. So okay. I'm hoping we see Maverick weaving through canyons at supersonic speeds to footloose. That would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Maybe Iceman could return Hip to the loose. Sc- maybe Iceman could return to the screen to the notes of Return to Pooh Corner, uh, another great Kenny Loggins classic. Uh, but what Have I'm you seen Val Kilmer lately. Uh, what I'm really hoping for is that maybe they'll sneak uh, "Meet Me Halfway" into the movie, which of course was the lead song for the spectacular 1987 movie "Over the Top," where Sylvester Stallone ter- tells us all about arm wrestling. That's a movie that needs that needs a, Over a remake. Over the yes. top. I can see it. It's beautiful. Our producer Ben, ben is agreeing with us. Ben, well, who is an arm wrestling expert, that's right, uh, knows all this. That's the, we could we could create a shared universe where Over the Top and Top Gun connect. Over the Top Gun could be the sequel to the sequel to Top Gun. How about the sequel? Uh, Don't take my breath away. Please hand me my CPAP machine. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. Look. We'll break all this down. We'll keep on it. Uh, You can read our stuff at MilitaryTimes.com and DefenseNews.com all week. And you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Leo Shane. I'm at Reporter Joe. Thanks for tuning in.